Welcome to Rebel Health Radio, bringing the best in alternative and integrative medicine to your ears. Hi everybody, it's Patricia Warby here, Alchemy Therapies, Rebel Health Radio, and My Emotional Audit. And today I wanted to review a book which I've recently completed, and it's Revolutionising Trauma Treatment by Babette Rothschild. Um, Babette wrote a book called The Body Remembers uh, way back, I think it was 2010, something like that, um, but certainly a few years ago now. And this is a, an update of her second book, The Body Remembers 2. So it's been, it's been retitled Revolutionising Trauma Treatment. And the subtitle here is Stabilisation, Safety and Nervous System Balance. And I think, I think that's very well summarised, really, what this book is about, because it's sort of extending the idea that trauma treatment is all about taking people back to the trauma um, and possibly re-traumatising them. So in, in the past, trauma treatment was simply about talking, talking therapy, talking about what had happened to you uh, in minute detail, in, in the mistaken belief that talking about it would resolve it for you. Uh, in fact, that's not the case. And talking about it doesn't really solve the problem at all and can, as I've said, actually have negative effects in that it can re you can actually go into the past in the sense of reliving the trauma in your body. And that can actually create more symptoms than it relieves. And so I think Babette wrote this book in order to wipe the slate clean, really, of that idea that we need to do that. And actually, you can help people by coming to the here and now, by stabilizing them in the here and now, and actually taking more recent events as the indicator to the past, rather than necessarily going back over everything that's really traumatized them. So for all of you out there who might be thinking um, you'd like to engage in trauma therapy to try and resolve some of your past issues, but you're too scared, this is a really good um message isn't it to know that you don't have to do that you don't have to go into the thing that happened and and completely frighten yourself and and i really liked this book um it wasn't as dense as i'd expected i've been putting off reading it for a long time thinking oh i have i got time because it's a professional book um it's published by norton who are you know the the publisher for psychology generally and uh, but actually, it's not as dense as, as I thought. And, and in fact, I read it within a couple of days and I made some notes, which I just want to go over with you now. So um, the main thing about her approach is, is noticing the autonomic state of the person you're working with. Now, what do we mean by that? Everybody has an autonomic or kind of autonomous nervous system, something that goes on behind the scenes without you being consciously aware of it. You don't think about breathing, for instance, or your heart beating um, and your bladder fills and your stomach moves food along and digests all without you knowing or having any conscious input. And that's the job of your autonomic nervous system or one branch of it in particular, the somatic nervous system. So. It, it's it's really interesting to be able to plot where your nervous system is on a scale because we all go from being calm to being uh, agitated or anxious 
and we can do that very, very quickly because our autonomic nervous system responds to our internal and external um, environment in a way that picks up a stimulus and responds to it. And it's very, very quick. It's much quicker than you thinking about, uh, I don't know, lifting your left leg, for instance, um, which you have to consciously think about. So it takes a little bit longer. So she's come up with a, a sort of scale, which she's got, I think there are uh, five states that she's, and, and helpfully, she's actually produced a pullout in the book, which map these five states and what to look out for as a therapist, because this book is primarily for therapists. But I think it's also helpful for um, individuals who are looking to go for trauma therapy because they could they could map their own system here. You know, is what are your pupils like? Are they large or, or small? How is your breathing? Um, how, what's your skin tone like? You know, when you're flushed, we know that you're you're aroused in, in not always a good way. Um, or conversely, going up the scale, are you completely collapsed? Because that's that's the final state of the nervous system is to collapse in preparation for death. I've talked a lot about that as a, a precursor to chronic illness, you know, that we can get into these hypo freeze states where nothing works. The energy systems of the body are just completely shut down. And that's the basis of chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and long COVID. But they're never, they're never just the thing. It's not the trigger that creates the disease. It's the, it's the experiences of that person up to that point that the trigger occurs. So often they've had childhood trauma of some kind, and it's not always the big traumas. It's not always the obvious things. Um, I think Babette's talking primarily about childhood abuse. She's talking about um, uh, having major accidents, uh, being in a, a tsunami or something, the, a bombing, those kinds of traumas. They're obvious traumas. I tend to deal with relational trauma, which is the slow drip feed of trauma that happens throughout most people's childhoods, being misunderstood, being unsupported, being made to feel different or the outcast, those kinds of things. But the, the same principles apply and noticing where someone is on that spectrum of, of autonomic arousal enables you to tailor your treatment to that person rather than having a one size fits all. And, and I think so it's a very useful uh, thing to incorporate. And it, of course, it brings in the ideas of polyvagal theory. Now, I don't know if I totally agree with her scaling. I and mean, she's got one um, state which she calls hyper freeze uh, sort of rabbit in the headlights state you know you're you're agitated but you're frozen at the same time I, I've never come across that state within polyvagal theory now either that's she's just ahead of the curve here and I'm out of step uh, or, or I'm not sure but I I love the idea of of noticing where people are and being able to tailor something to them, which is so, so important that we don't approach everybody all the same. And that's what modern medicine does, of course. It says, if you've got a symptom, here's, here's the intervention, here's the drug usually. It's usually a drug treatment that we'll give you. We don't look at the history in modern medicine. We don't look at who they are, the kind of personality they are, what responsibilities they have, what experiences have come to bring them to this point. 
but in natural medicine and in therapy, we we do. We take a very strong history of that person, and the history is absolutely vital. And Babette certainly agrees with me on that, and 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 takes a very strong history of that person. And then she talks about um, often we go too fast. We we try and solve the problem for people because we want to heal. That's that's why we're in the business of healing is because we have a very strong desire to get the person to a state of, of healing and calm. And sometimes we want to proceed quicker than their system can handle. And I think that's very, very true and, and something to be aware of. And she talks about stabilizing people and how you can often uh, choose something in the external environment to help anchor them in the here and now and I do that a lot so I'll ask people you know what's the chair like that you're sitting on you know is it comfortable is it hard how does it feel right now because if you go straight into internal sensations which people often do with trauma treatment they say right I want you to focus on your breathing that can be a source of terror for some people because maybe the breath is a trigger for them you know if if they were ever in a situation where they couldn't breathe, like a birth trauma or an asphyxiation event, um, the breath can be highly triggering. So just to be aware that you need to, what we call pendulate between one and the other is, is really important. And it can really ground you in where you are and help you to feel safe, which is the basis of all treatment, is to enable you to feel safe in this moment, safe in this environment and safe working with the person you're working with which you may never have felt in your life. Honestly, there's so many people I work with who've never felt safe in their bodies, never felt safe in their life. They've compensated by becoming very, you know, uh, overworking or over-responsible for other people, high achievers. Um, but that doesn't mean they feel good about themselves. It doesn't mean they have this great foundation for who they are and trust themselves interiorly. So we've got to be very careful about that, too, and bringing resources to people which enable them to feel maybe for the first time that they are worthy of love. They are worthy of being here. They have uh, power that they've never accessed, which is about their truth, uh, their authenticity, why they're here, what they're here to do. Sounds like big, big things that I'm introducing here, but it's really vital to give people hope and to give them a sense of motivation and purpose. So she talks about being very careful about pendulating between the exterior and the interior sensations, which are another thing that the autonomic nervous system does. It, it, as I've said, it takes in information in order to produce a very, very immediate response. And so if, you're, if your exterior environment is not safe, it will constantly trigger you. And equally, if you're ill and the interior signals are disrupted or they're saying, you know, something doesn't feel right here. My gut doesn't feel right. My heart's beating so fast all the time or um, I can't maintain my heart, my heart beat properly or, or even my blood pressure. Those internal signals will also trigger an anxiety because the brain is responding to something that doesn't feel good. So we have to find ways in order to train the nervous system to not perhaps take so much attention to what's not working, because unfortunately we have what's called a negative bias. The brain will focus on things that aren't right, that don't work, that are a, you know, a potential threat to us. So we have to build the resources through 
focusing on things that are working that do make sense that feel good to you and, and we may have to search for those because with a lot of the people I work with they don't have much they've been ill for a long time they feel hopeless and helpless and and part of trauma treatment is is really introducing hope and taking people through this process gently gently one step at a time we get to where we want to go if I give you everything straight away and um I take you into a state of super calmness. The, the brain is so unused to that. It really doesn't know what to do with it and it will reject it. So we have to build that capacity. So she talks about pacing and pendulation. She also talks about planning. So it's sort of three P's, isn't it? Planning, planning a, a treatment outcome. Now, of course, this is really important as a therapist that you don't um, perhaps just go into something and rely totally on instinct, although Often I do, I must admit, um, my intuition tells me where to go usually with people. But, but having some idea of what you want to work on, and, and I do that through what I call the initial consultation, which is where I, we go through your history and we find out what events of your life were really key for you um, that maybe haven't been resolved in you bodily. And then I design a, a series of segments. But often I have to depart from that, you know, because... Something else comes in from the current life, which points us in a new direction. So she talks about um, a recipe. It's a bit like a recipe and what you need to make today and asking the client, what do you want to make today? What, where do you want to get to? What's your goal? And I think that's a wise um, idea. And I, I often, I must admit, uh, after the first consultation, Sometimes I'm guided by where they are. And I always start with, you know, what's happened in the last two weeks or so since I last saw you, because that's my guide to what needs to be worked on. The, the brain is very intelligent. Consciousness, which we now know doesn't reside in the brain, but is a, a sort of external thing that we kind of transmit through the brain, is, is very wise and intelligent. And it always will present you with what you need and it will reward you when you are on the right track people don't believe that but it it happens uh, synchronicities start to happen um, things start to be presented either in dreams or flashbacks or uh, feelings about memories about people that need to be resolved and so although I agree with the idea of, of having a plan I also like to be a bit flexible on that so but I do agree with her starting from the present starting from what happened in the last few weeks or something that's quite immediate for that person and it's mainly because they can access it much more readily and also it's a more gentle introduction to memory reprocessing memories are not as you might think uh, always stored in the brain there are obviously ordinary memories narrative memories like you know what you had for breakfast or um, what you did last Christmas but there are different types of memory and one of them is a sort of body memory or somatic memory which is not at all narrative and it isn't accessible in the same way and that's why we have to use the body to access some of these experiences that you've had and so um, we start from the present because that's accessible to you but it will instantly remind the body of other times in your life where you've experienced similar emotions or similar um, similar experiences that you've internalized, the meanings, let's say. And so 
we we follow your experience that's what make that what is what makes this type of therapy so different is that we're following you and not a protocol that we've designed in an office or uh, from theory uh, so I agree with her on that and pacing it very gently. So we build people's capacity for safety, for stabilization before we get to the most traumatic memories, if we need to go there at all. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes that spontaneously happens anyway and gets resolved through the current life. Um, but more, more likely we do eventually get to some of the more painful times in your life. But once you've built a sense of rapport and you've connected with the person, it's so much easier to trust that you can get through something without being overwhelmed by it, because that's the main reason why people hold on to these experiences for years and years without doing anything, because they feel that therapy is so frightening and it's going to overwhelm them and stop them being able to cope. Uh, the opposite is actually true. Once you can get through the memory is over and know that you're safe in the present, everything becomes easier. Life becomes easier. Goals are easier to set. Um, you start to have more joy in your life because you can actually engage with the present without being pulled into the past all the time. Um, she also talks about language, using language very carefully and, and avoiding that sense of being pulled back into the past by saying, I'm there, you know, it's happening in the present tense. And she points out that you need to remind your client that they're remembering it's the past, it's over. Now, I do that in a slightly different way because um, the tools I use are, are slightly different. And I use something called tapping. I also use uh, eye movement uh, desensitization or EMDR. Um, and so I always start with the present tense. I'm here. It's OK. I'm safe. I'm looking at this problem, whatever the problem is. Um, but she was saying, actually, that that be careful with the words. And I would agree with that. You have to watch that people don't go too deep too quickly into the past as if it's still the present um, but I, I also like to keep things very very simple and so I don't use long complicated phrases or words the body is feeling it's it it's connecting via your back brain your your limbic brain and your brain stem which are very primitive uh, brains you actually have three brains in your head. You have the cortex or thinking brain. That's the most recent one in evolutionary terms. But there's also a limbic brain, which is in the middle. And there's a back brain, which is a sort of brainstem that links to your spinal cord. And they're, they're much more basic, all about survival and these autonomic functions in your body. And, and that's the brain we have to talk to. And so keeping things really, really simple in terms of language is so key. So I am here. I am learning. I'm good enough. I, I always say keep it in the language of a seven-year-old because seven is the age at which we kind of start to individuate. It's the time when our cortex or thinking brain comes fully on, not fully online, but begins to develop. And so this is when children begin to realise they can take in context, you know, that everything isn't just about them, that there is a bigger picture out there. But keeping it very simple so that a seven-year-old would understand because that's the language really of the body. It's, it's very basic. It's, am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? And many people grow up not feeling any of those things. And they are sitting ducks for chronic disease of some kind, as I was.
um, because we don't have a good foundation for being us, for knowing who we are and for trusting ourselves and our own self being fully developed as a safe and uh, valid individual. And the final thing um, she ends on is adapting certain tools uh, like yoga or mindfulness. And she makes some really good points here, which I've, I've actually made in other videos I've done and audios I've done about what's wrong with some of these treatments which are not adapted, they're not trauma informed. So I've already hinted at this. So if you go into meditation and the meditation teaching says, you know, I want you to sit for 30 minutes and just focus on your breathing. For some people that is so traumatic that they will go into a panic attack just being immobile for that length of time and also focusing on something that feels really unsafe. In other words, going interiorly. So we have to adapt some of these things for people who've had trauma and invite them to do things that feel more safe for them. So limiting the amount of time you're still, for instance. So for people with trauma, a moving meditation is often a lot better, something like Qigong, Tai Chi, gardening even walking uh, slow movements done mindfully are usually easier for people who've had trauma which has involved some form of immobilization being stuck in a, in a panic situation where you could not move and one of the most common ones by the way is surgery um, surgery of any kind where you've been anesthetized is immobilizing and your body remembers that and, and so people can often have huge triggers and yoga too, um, stretching, she points out, can because it, it sends messages from the muscles to the brain of certain movements of, of stretching in your proprioception, what's called proprioception, which is the position of your muscles in space, can also be a trigger. And so having a set routine for people uh, where they do this and then they do that can often be not not taking account of their own particular situation and so certain postures will not be very comfortable and not because they're stiff but because they trigger you being prone for instance can be a huge trigger that's lying face down which you do do in yoga you often rest your hands uh, your head on your hands and lie prone or or bending over uh, forwards can be another huge trigger for obvious reasons it exposes the, the rear of the body so um, there are all sorts of ways in which we have to be trauma informed and not use one size, one size fits all approaches. So I liked that. I, I, I overall, I like the book very much. Um, it was published in 2017 as paper, as a hardback and now in 2021 as a paperback and therefore is much more accessible with the price of a paperback obviously being a lot less. And it's not a difficult read, actually. Uh, what I loved, another thing I loved about it is she uses actual transcripts from sessions. So for practitioners like me who are interested to see how she works, it's absolutely brilliant. And I'm actually going to borrow that. I'm, I'm going, I have been long thinking about using some transcripts and I've got some clients who've agreed to that, uh, me using their session transcripts in some way. And I would like to, I think my next book will be um, some practical applications of what I now know and how I work, because I've not done that before. I've written a lot of theoretical texts, 
on, on some of the theories I work with and why it changes the way you feel and why it helps chronic illness and alleviates pain and all these sorts of things. But I want to show people the how. And so I'm going to take away um, lots of things from this book, but mainly it's about being very, very mindful of your client's situation and drawing them from the present to the past and not the other way. And yeah, I look forward to using some of the ideas she's given me in the future and um, actually making something of my own approach, which is slightly different to hers, but nevertheless in the same ballpark. So I can highly recommend the book. And um, if any of what I've said today interests you, you know where I am. You can get in touch with me um, from the links below and do subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Hey, hope you enjoyed listening to Rebel Health Radio. Do subscribe and look forward to catching you soon.